0: You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. I'm so thankful that the red made a difference in my life. How about yours this morning? Aren't you thankful that the red, the blood of Jesus Christ, made all the difference? And the power of the blood of Jesus Christ makes a difference in our lives. When we live in our red, we live in a deficit. But when we live in God's red, we live in His provision. And uh, that is the, the purpose of this series uh, this, this month is just talking about our finances and looking at living in the red of the deficit or the red of God's provision and, and the, the red that he, he makes available to us and what he freely gives to us and restores and makes whole. There's a name in the Old Testament used to describe God and the name is Jehovah Jireh. Have you ever heard that name before? Raise your hand if you've heard that name before. He is called Jehovah Jireh. And if you know Jehovah Jireh, it literally means and is translated God is my Provider. How many believe that God is your provider today? Do you believe that God is the one who provides in your resources? That we serve a God who is our Jehovah Jireh. He is the provider. He's the one that meets our every needs. I looked up the word provider and I put some synonyms or looked up some synonyms for the word provider. And that word provider means to be the source. How many know that God is our source of our res- the resources, our, our, our things that we receive and things that we have? It comes from God. The Bible says in James that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father Father of lights Who does not change like shifting shadows And so our God is the provider Every good and perfect gift comes from Him He's called Jehovah Jireh But do you also know another synonym that I found And this, this one was cool That when I looked up the synonyms for the word provider It said bill payer Aren't you thankful that our God is the bill payer? Somebody say, thank God that he is Jehovah Jireh, that he is the bill payer. He's the one that provides for whatever need, whatever situation, whatever it is in your life. Your electric bill, he's got more than enough to cover it. Your your situation, whatever it is surrounds you, he's got more than enough to cover. He works in our lives, and he is indeed our provider. He's our provider. And listen to this good news that's in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. It says, and my God will... I love that. It doesn't say, my God might, my God's going to in some sort of way. It says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is a word of promise that my God, do you know Jehovah Jireh? Listen, it's one thing to know that God provides, or it's one of these things. It's one thing to sing about God being your provider, and it's another thing to live it. It's one thing to say, and and here's the reality. Our worship says that God is our provider, but the way we manage our finances proves whether or not God is really our provider. Our worship says one thing. You know this whole statement of put your money where your mouth is? I think God came up with that. I think God started that whole thing put your money where your mouth is because this whole idea of serving God god I'm going to give you my heart going to give you everything going to honor you going to love you going to trust you going to you know lean on you and let you be in control of my life and then he gives us the opportunity to honor him with our tithes and to manage our resources our worship says that we trust God or it says that God is our provider but how we manage our money is really the difference in it that in this this morning understanding that that In our lives that uh, there is a situation and what we want to talk about this morning is dealing with the debt crisis. Dealing with the debt crisis that is in our lives, and this is not one of those messages that is that is a uh, a come down or a condemnation of, of of debt that has been piled up, but it is a message of hope because no matter what the mountain, we serve a God who is able to bring hope in every situation. Aren't you thankful that the Word of the Lord says that we can have faith that we can speak to the mountain in Jesus' name, be moved, and the mountain will be cast into the sea? Now I don't know what happens in that in that I idea? I don't know if that mountain is in a sea where it literally crumbles and falls into the sea or is it in a place where the water rises and the more the water rises it reaches the peak and covers the mountain to where you can't even see it anymore and I believe this that we serve a God who has provision to cause the waters to rise so that we can wa- or live in his provision and the mountain that doesn't that was once there is not even even visible not even in a place because his glory his presence his provision carries us to a place that we reach higher Than whatever that deficit or whatever that situation Or that problem is in our lives We've got to come to a place this morning Where we truly believe that God is our provider And I believe without a doubt The situation that our country is in The debt crisis that is in our country I'm not an economist I'm not an economist Nor am I a doom or gloom preacher But I do know this That debt to an excess At some point cannot sustain a people I don't know much about money and all the stuff of investments and the stocks and all the stuff of those things. I don't have much idea, but I do know that a deficit or a debt cannot sustain a nation or a people for a long period of time. But I also know this, that I serve a God who can cause water to come out of the wilderness, who can make water to come out of a rock, who can cause manna to fall from the sky. I serve a God who will meet all of my needs. I don't know about your God, but my God is able to meet every need in my life, and He's the one that I I trust and he is indeed my Jehovah Jireh. Do you believe that this morning? You might, and here's the problem. We could say that (laughs) and we're like, but Jason, you don't know how many doctor bills I have. You don't know how many how many credit card bills I have. You don't know how many how big the problem is, how big the mountain is. I didn't ask how big's your problem. I asked how big's your God because your God cannot be in the same order as the size of your problems because it doesn't matter if your problem is perceived to be big or small. Your God is still greater than whatever that problem is, and Jehovah Jireh that I serve is a God who can restore and bring hope in every single situation in in my life and I'm declaring and praying this in this body that every house in this in this place every family in this place is going to be debt-free is going to honor God with their finances and we're going to see the king of God do great and mighty things through the resources that we have do you believe that we serve a God who can cause us to overcome mountains you say but my mountain is above the average the average is about fifteen thousand dollars of debt You say, my mountain's bigger than the average. I want you to know my God is even, your God, our God is even bigger than what the average would be. Because the average God isn't that big, but we serve the one and the only God, the one true God who is indeed Jehovah Jireh. And I believe we're at a place where we're we're going to have to allow ourselves to really believe and trust God and take Him at His word and believe that He is the God who is able. That's the red that I want to live in. The red that I want to live in is his provision that, God, you have provided everything I need. Because the red that I sometimes will live in is the red that says, "Mm, I've got everything I need but not everything I want. And when I live in my red, it becomes a deficit. But when I live in his red, it becomes provision, becomes blessing. Take a look this morning in 2 Kings. I want to, as we address this message, dealing with our debt crisis Talking about how to climb out of this debt, how to how to kill the debt monster, how to how to make make progress and and come in a place of of hope and victory in Jesus Christ. 2 Kings chapter 4. If you have your Bibles there and you're ready this morning, just simply say, Ready? I'm not, I need a drink. Okay, I'm ready. Second Kings chapter 4. Here's what the Bible says. One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of oil, the widow replied. And Elisha said, Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house and your sons, go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask in the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her and then the olive oil stopped flowing when she told the man of god what had happened he said to her now sell the olive oil and pay your debts and you and your son can live off the leftovers father today i pray that you would help us to live off the leftovers god that we would we would learn and have wisdom in our resources today god i thank you that you're not a condemning god but i thank you that you're a god who brings hope and helps us in every area of our need, including our finances. So God, help us to trust you and to know you as our Jehovah-Jireh. Thank you that you're still the God that can cause coins to come out of a fish's mouth. God, I haven't seen it happen, but Lord, I've seen you do some things in other ways. Lord, you may I may have not have seen coins come out of the fish's mouth, but Lord, I can say I have seen you put checks in a mailbox. Lord, I have seen you do things, and so God, I pray that, Lord, we would trust you, Jehovah Jireh, who is able to meet every need that we face today, and we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I'm really praying that it will be a place for us that we would experience a debt-free lifestyle. That in our lives we would come to a place and experience the victory that God would have for our lives. Here's this woman. She is the, a widow. And, and as you know, in, in that time, the widow were the poor of the poor. Because they were taken care of by the husband. And when the husband was gone, they didn't have resources. They were the poor of the poor. Here she has some resources, but they're two sons. The unfortunate thing is they mustn't be of age to provide for her. So they must be younger sons. And so because this husband is taken and they're in a situation, she comes to Elisha, who her husband was a servant of, and she says to Elisha, I've got a debt crisis, I have an issue, my my husband has, has passed away, you know how faithful he was to you, you know all the things that he did, how he feared the Lord, and the creditor wants to come and take my sons. Now in that day, they was, there was, of course, the husband, the man, the property that they would have would even be accounted as individuals. And so they would come and they would take the children. And I hope there's not some sick soul that says, oh, well, take my kids, I'll be debt free then. No, that's not, the, that's, not the, that's not the answer. In this culture and in this time, they're threatening, He they said, We're going to take your children. She comes to Elisha, and she says to Elisha, she says, we're in a deficit. We are in debt. We've got trouble. And here's what I love. Elisha immediately responds to her, and this is what Elisha says. Let me just see if you remember reading this. She comes to Elisha, and she says, we're in debt. We've got trouble. And Elisha steps up and says, well, what did you do now? Why were you irresponsible? What was your problem? Is that what Elisha says? No, Elisha doesn't even dig up dirt to find out what the issue is. Elisha just simply responds and he says, how can I help you? He just simply says, how can I help you? For those that those of us that might be dealing with debt or dealing with, with, with financial struggle, I want you to know today, God is not looking at you and saying, it's all your fault because His grace and His mercy. Yes, we may have made unwise choices, but God still steps in and He says, I'm here. How can I help you? He is a God who is for you and not against you. He's not a God that is looking to condemn you for your situation. He's a God who's looking to redeem you and to Make you whole and to make you new We serve a God who's not waiting To beat up on us but to restore Us and to make us whole that's the Kind of God we serve I don't know about you but I got to get excited about that because When I know the God I serve is filled with Grace and mercy that he Loves me and here's Elisha he doesn't look at, Elisha doesn't look at this woman and say, well, what was wrong? Why didn't you plan better? Why didn't you, why didn't you have better resources? Why didn't, you, why didn't you manage things better? Why didn't you have these things in order? No, he doesn't ask any of those questions. He just simply says, how can I help you? How can I help you? And, and in our lives, and our situations today, he's not offended, realizing today that God is not offended by our financial situation as if we didn't give him what he wanted, your finances is not a situation that God is offended by. You say, we, it's sometimes easy to ask God for physical things because we know there's sometimes physical things we can't help. You know, things have happened and, and maybe there's things we just need to trust God. But sometimes our finances, instead of trusting God in those things, we tend to hide that and just keep that and manage and just put it under the rug and just deal with it. And the problem is we don't trust God and, and allow him to bring victory and to overcome this. Some reasons why we don't allow that. There might be one of the reasons, obviously, could be the, the, either some shame or things that would go with it, but I think there's another reason why we don't trust God with our finances. And the, reason, the main reason why we don't trust God with our finances is because we don't want to change the way we're living. The main reason why it's hard to trust God with our finances is because we don't want to change any of our habits, any of our spending, or the way that we're doing things. We don't want that to change, and so therefore, it's hard to trust God with our finances. And I think that's really the reason sometimes it's hard to trust God to get us out of debt because we're sometimes at the heart of it saying, but I don't want to change. I don't want that to be different. But understanding the blessing of God that he brings riches and goodness and grace and when we trust God, he'll change our circumstances. But you need to understand today that your debt doesn't offend him. It's not about the pain that you're causing him as much as it is the pain that it's causing you. It's the pain that it's causing you. God, God is not offended by your debt because of pain you're causing him. His, your debt, our debt bothers him because it's bothering us. It causes an undue pain. It causes pressure, burden to our lives. It causes an uneasy and unhealthy situation in our homes, in our, in our society, in the place where we are. That's the issue with our debt. God loves us and God looks at us. Here it is, Elisha comes to this woman and God would simply show up to to you and I today and he will just simply say, what can I do to help? That's all he says to us, what can I do to help? It wasn't a question to the widow for her to answer. This wasn't a question for the widow to answer as much as it was a statement for her to hear. This wasn't a question. Elisha didn't say, what can I do to help you? And then expect her to give an answer because he didn't even give any time for her to answer. His question wasn't a question for her to give an answer to. It was a statement for her to hear. And that statement in the question was, what can I do to help you? And what he was saying to her is, I'm with you in this situation. I'm with you in your in your trouble. I'm with you in this situation. So how can I help you? Because I'm here. I'm not offended or separated or pushed away from your problem. I'm here. So how can I help you? I don't know about you, but I'm so glad I serve a God today who's not mad at me, but mad about me. A God who's not offended by my sin, but a God who looks at me and says, I can forgive you. I can redeem you. Listen, he won't look upon sin sin he's not a God that can that can handle sin or sin cannot be in the presence of God but he loves me enough to keep coming at me and allowing me to receive the love and grace that he has for me today and the love that he has is that he wants to restore and make us new God is not giving up on you he wants you to give up on everything else you're holding on to and trying to find help and security and God wants to be your everything today I love preaching over and over and making statements and reminding people, God is not mad at you. God is not mad at you. I just read this morning during my my morning devotions in, in Colossians chapter three, and the word of the Lord says this, don't be greedy, for greed is idolatry of the world. And if you continue in this, the anger of the Lord is soon coming. Realize it said the anger of the Lord is what? Coming. The anger of the Lord is not here. God is not angry at you. If you my mom used to say it this way, boy, if you think I'm angry, wait till you see it. That's what my mom would say. My mom would say, boy, if you think I'm mad, just wait till I'm really mad. And Here's the the reality. God's anger, and I hope you hear this, because he loves you. The love of God is for you. He didn't die on the cross so that he could later come around and, and whip you and beat you. He took the beating for you. He bled the blood for you. He did what he did because he loves you. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. And if you don't capture that, you'll never know the freedom of walking in his grace and his mercy. It doesn't matter how deep your sin is. doesn't matter how deep your debt is. It doesn't matter how deep your red might be of your deficit. The red of his blood is far greater and able to make whole and to make new and to restore. That's the, the, the power, the blood of Jesus Christ. In our lives, we need to know that God loves us. He is for us. If you know that he's for you, then you know that you can trust him and take him at his word. So here's what I want to do real quick. Give you a couple things this morning from this story of how we can affect our finances and dealing with the debt crisis that might be in our lives. Number one, we've got to identify what's in the house. Elisha says to the woman, he says, what do you have in the house? You realize that you cannot operate with what you don't have. You can only God, honor God with what you do have. But when you honor God with what you do have, he causes that to create even more than you had before. And so that little that you had, God touches it and causes it to do even more than you can imagine and even more than you can even believe for. But here's the problem we live in sometimes. Instead of acknowledging and knowing what's in the house, we live and allow our spending to be with things that we don't even have in the house. For instance, you can only spend and only use what you have in the house do you know what's in the house? There are sometimes we live our lives financially where we just put the money in, send the money out. We don't account for it. We don't know where it goes. We just put it in a big pile and hope at the end of the day or help, the end of the week or the end of the whatever it was that everything's fine and then we just put it in a big pile and then when it's all gone, we're like, where did that go? Do you know what's in the house? Do you know what's coming in? Do you know what's coming out? Do you know what you have in the house? Because there's a problem if you start using what you don't have in the house. Because if you start using what's not in the house, that's a deficit. That's a problem. You've got to identify and know what's in the house. There are sometimes, even in some marriages, where husbands and wives don't know what's in the house. They think they know because someone else is taking care of it and there's no clear communication. And then the problem with that is it becomes each other's fault when there's a money crisis. And one of the biggest things that hinder marriages is money. Because people don't know. And we, we operate in this assumption. And so you've got to know what's in the house. And so I'm asking you today, do you know what's in the house? Are you accounting for what's coming in? And knowing what is there and being, being, being in a place of acknowledging what is there. Here's this, this widow, and she responds to Elisha this way. Elisha says, what do you have in the house? She says, nothing. How many have ever felt that way? I have Nothing. She says, she says to Elisha, I have nothing except for this bottle of oil. This bottle of oil that by itself cannot do anything. By itself cannot produce anything. Even for food, it's only oil to cook with. But you've got to have the flour and the other stuff to cook it. Even for lamps and, and for those things, you, it's not enough just to burn. You've got to have the wick. You've got to have all the, the materials and the other things that once they're burnt out, you've got to replace them. You need money to get that. Oil by itself cannot do anything. But that's all she had. You might be here today and you say, I work minimum wage. I spend, my, I pay the bills. And at the end of the day, I have nothing. And whatever your nothing is, make sure that before you get to what you say you have nothing, that you, the first thing you've done is you've given God 10%. You've honored him with your finances because when you then look and you see you have nothing. God says, whatever you have in the house, if you honor me and if you trust me with what you perceive as nothing, I'll take your nothing and make something out of it. I'll take your nothing and cause it to come against and cause it to be produced and multiply and to work in a way I can't understand it. I can't explain it. Sometimes it comes with job opportunities. Sometimes it comes with blessings. There have even been times where it's been my birthday and my grandmother sent me a birthday card and put a $50 bill in it I love my grandma that's been years ago she still does that But there have been moments where the grace and trusting God, I don't know how it happens, but I just know this, that when you honor God, He'll take your nothing and He'll make something with it. I can't explain. I can't give you the formula. I can't tell you how it works. I just know that when I step out in faith, He meets me there and He causes what was nothing to become something. He causes troubled waters to be calm and allows me to even walk on water sometime. Not literally. Not literally walked on water, but God has walked me through circumstance. I remember being in college Jody and I married, had no money. We spent everything we had to go out to Bible college to finish our last year of college. We literally emptied the ashtray. We emptied our savings account to get to Minnesota. We emptied our ashtray to split a Taco Bell meal. You know how cheap Taco Bell is to begin with. And we split a meal. And we said to God, God, we're going to live off of whatever these small sandwiches we have because we have no means of income, but you called us. We'll trust you. Jody gets a job. Woohoo! We're excited, but there's a problem. I got a job in downtown Minneapolis, and it costs $16 a day to park. <laughs> oh, no. We don't have $16 a day. She's going to start by the end of the week, and we said, we're going to trust God. So we trust God. By the end of the week, I go into the job that I have right across from North Central where I, was, where I was a student. My boss, the manager, Brian, calls me into his office before my shift one day, and he says to me, he says, Jason, we lost a supervisor. Are you interested in being, a, in a, being an area supervisor? I said, Yeah, he said, uh, there's more money. I'm like, well, yeah, (laughs) you'll make more money. He said, you'll be in charge of these lots and these places. And then he says, all that. He gives me the tour and he says, oh, and by the way, all of your vehicles get to park free here. Guess where the parking lot was that Jody was working in that she needed to have have things for? Because of that whole thing, she ended up getting free parking. We didn't just have to say, God, give us the $16 for it. God gave me a new, a new position where I was the supervisor, and all of my vehicles got to park for free. So $16 a day back then in Minnesota, they were paying for parking. $16 a day. God provided. He moved, and we watched God work in our lives. i got to be honest with you. My wife and I, young and married, had nothing, and we trusted God with everything. Now we've got a little more. And I've got to trust God just as much. No less. I've got to still come to the place say, God, I'm willing to empty the ashtray. If you want me to empty the ashtray, I, I don't have ashes in it. That's where we put our coins. It's in our car, and that's where we. The, God, if you want me to empty the ashtray, God, if you want us to empty the ashtray, if you want us to empty, empty or whatever it is, Lord, help us to be at a place where we're still willing to say, God, I'll give you what seems like nothing, because you'll take it and you'll make something out of it. Do you know what's in the house? Do you know what you have? Or maybe even what you don't have. You've got to know what's in. And as a, as, a, as a home, you've got to know. Let me give you the second thing. He says to her, and this second thing is an act of faith. She had to operate in faith. And here's the faith. He said, go and gather up, borrow bottles or jars from, from fellow friends and family. Get Get extra jars go into your house with your son, shut the door behind you and begin to fill up the, the jars. Now here's this woman. She's now operating in an act of faith because he doesn't say to her and then you're going to sell them and pay off your debt. He leaves it at that. All she knows is I've got to go get jars, go in the house, shut the door and fill them up. But she had enough faith to do what the prophet said. She begins, and here it is, you realize that the amount of faith that she had, she had to have faith. If she believed his word, if she believed what he was saying, you're going to fill up the bottles. That meant the amount of bottles she would fill up was all depending on how much faith she had. The amount of bottles she would gather around to neighbors and collect was all depending on how much faith she had. If she had faith that God was going to fill up the bottles, I'm sure she went to as many neighbors as she could find and got as many bottles as she could find, made as many trips as she could find, and did as much as she could do to have those resources, trusting God that he would provide in that time, realizing that sometimes there's a job and there's a work that needs to happen in our lives. It's one thing. It's one thing to want a miracle, but sometimes you can't just want a miracle. You have to work for a miracle. Sometimes you just can't want it. You've got to work for it. I thank God that yes, He can cause provision, but every act of faith is an act of work and obedience. And the Bible says, without faith or without w- without works, faith is dead. That faith by itself is not effective. But when we put with that, our works, our, our faith, our action, that God meets us in that place and He provides. You can't just want a miracle. You got to begin to work for it and trust God for it. It's gonna cost you to have a miracle in your finances. It's gonna cost you being responsible in your in your in our spending and, and setting those boundaries and doing those things. We've got to want it, yes, but we've got to work for it. She began to collect all the jars that she could or all the jars that she could have faith for. All the jars she could have faith for. Here's what he says then they went into the house they shut the door behind them. Many times when we read in the Bible that they shut the door It was so that they could isolate themselves from the outside to create a place for them to meet with God alone. They would isolate themselves from the outside and and in this place they would come and they would shut the door. When you shut the door, you create a boundary. Now how many know that a boundary is meant to limit access? That's what you set a boundary for. And when you limit access, it sets parameters and boundaries to operate by and our finances and our money needs Boundaries. We've got to set boundaries, or another way of saying it is a budget. Dave Ramsey has a great resource. You can Google uh, Peace University, and you can find on uh, Dave Ramsey has a, a place for a budget that maybe if you don't have one, encourage you to put one together and identify what those, what those expenses are. And, and uh, look at that. Let me tell you, if you're a teenager, start now. If you're a teenager, start now handing, handling your finances in a, in a God-honoring way, in a God, godly way, in the, in the things that we do here it is, when we, when we understand we put limit on our money, it's in order to make sure that it's used properly. It's called the budget. Notice that when she filled the jars, what did she do every time she would fill a jar? The Bible says that they set it aside. You've got to have resources and monies that you have budgeted and you have responsibly set aside. My grandmother literally did it this way, above the, above the wood stove in the back cabinet there. It, it was, the wood stove was usually on in the winter, so we couldn't climb over there to get her money, so she knew where to hide it. <laughs> My grandmother would literally have these mason jars, and she would have each one marked. She would even have one marked for birthdays, so that she could give us, you know, at uh, uh, birthday, you know, send uh, those you know, birthday cards to us. That was the other grandmother that gave this grandmother, this grandmother... Love, she's the spiritual root of our home. Uh, we would get three dollars every birthday from her, but I tell you what, we got more than three dollars on our birthday. We got a spiritual legacy from this grandmother that she prayed all of my grandparents, but this grandmother, uh, she would set these things aside and she would literally have them in jars. And literally, and I, that's the picture I get when I read this of the widow, she was setting money aside. Church, we've got to have wisdom to set our money aside and put boundaries. On what we spend. Put boundaries on those things that we're we're using. The budget helps us to do that. Do you realize that the oil was proportioned to the number of jars? Think about that. What happened when they ran out of jars? The oil stopped. What stopped first? The jar or the oil? The jars. The jars. Had they had more jars, the oil would have kept running. Can I tell you today... They took the oil and they sold sold the oil to pay off their debt, right? So the oil is like money for us. Money isn't your problem. The management of your jars is. The money is not your problem. The management of your jars is our problem. We sometimes think if I had more money, I would be out of debt. No, if I had more money, I would get in more debt. Because if you don't know how to manage your jars, it's time for the oil to stop Because all you're going to do without right jars, the oil's going to pour all over the place. It's going to make a mess. You're going to slip on it. It's a dangerous, it's a problem. You've got more problems than before. Our issue is not a lack of money. Our issue is a lack of management. What are jars representing in the Bible? Paul says that our bodies, we are like earthen jars. And here's what it is. If we don't take control of these jars, the word manage means to take charge of. If we don't take charge and control of these jars... Because here's what we do too many times. Instead of taking charge of the jars, we charge it for the jars. Instead of taking charge of our wants and putting boundaries on managing what we're spending, we sometimes charge what our jars want rather than managing our jars effectively. Again, this isn't condemnation. This is just those tools that say, "Hey hey God, I'm serious about wanting to see victory in this area of my life. So are you managing? The oil stopped When the jars stopped, we've got to manage our jars properly. The miracle always follows the management. Let me say that again. The miracle always follows the management. Jesus, before he gave the 5,000, he fed them fish and bread. He said to the disciples, put them in groups of 50. He managed them in groups of 50, and after the management came the miracle. When you manage things properly, God can't pour out a blessing that you've not prepared yourself for. God can't pour out a blessing that you've not made yourself ready to handle and to operate and to carry and to work with. We've got to allow ourselves to be ready. We must have patience and self-control, setting those boundaries, shutting the door. There, there's some things, and we've got to be honest, there's some wants that we've got to shut the door to. One of the things that my wife and I, since we were, we were uh, here as youth pastors, we always went in to operate with, and that is we eliminate the impulse buying. And that is when we show up in the store and we think we want it, we don't get it that day. Because the problem is we get it that day and realize, man, that wasn't the best choice we should have made. So we always say, and there are times you'll have to remind me, remember, we're not impulse buying, but I want to. <laughs> but we have to have those things that we've got to shut the door to. And here's what I do, or here's what we need to do. And I'm still, you know, we're in this process saying, okay, God, help us to discover this. Help us to to experience this. But when I shut the door, I'm saying to God, God, I'm gonna trust you to open the doors that need to be opened. And you'll make provision, you'll make way. I'm gonna ask Jalen to come and close us in a song this morning. Let me give you the last thing. We've got to manage the jars properly. We've we've gotta shut the door, set a boundary. We've got to know what we have in the house. Do you know what's coming in? Do you know what's going out? Do you have it properly set aside to manage those funds? And then lastly, he says to the widow, he says, take the oil, pay your debts. Listen to this. Take the oil, pay your debts, and live off the leftovers. Who likes leftovers? Except when they're Darren Myers leftovers that... They're the only leftovers that our kids will eat in the house. Hey, we have leftovers. I don't want leftovers. Well, it's Darren's chicken cordon. I'll have leftovers. Everybody likes those leftovers. Can I tell you, God's leftovers are greater than this world's first fruits. His leftovers are greater that when you honor God, you will have more than enough. Enough. I didn't say you'd have all of your wants met, but you will have all your needs met. You will have all your needs met. That's the God that we serve who provides for our every need. We have to come to a place and say, God, do I trust that you are Jehovah Jireh? Is that the part we trust of God? To live off the leftovers, and here's unfortunately what we do sometimes. Instead of living off the leftovers, we live off of the front end And then try to let God make sense and manage and work with everything else that's left over. But if we trust and honor God up front, and I believe this, that we honor God first, honor our debts second, and then live off the leftovers. We need to redefine what living is because in our culture we have become materialistic. And I'm not going to preach against materialism and all that stuff. But I will say this, our wants for more and more has not created more and more happiness. It's created more and more burden and pressure. So you gotta ask yourself, is true living meaning having everything you want? No. True living is being in debt to no man. That's true living. True living is when there's a freedom, when you really can inhale and exhale and breathe and enjoy life. That's true living. And trusting God for every other means and for everything else that he'll bring in our heart, in our lives. God doesn't love you more than he loves me. God doesn't love me more than he loves you. You've seen God do some miracles in your life. And when God did that miracle in your life, he didn't run dry. When he poured out that miracle in your life, and you remember that time when you were living and just trusting God and he blessed you, he came, it felt like it was out of nowhere and he just poured out. I want you to know when he did that, it wasn't where he said, Oh, I spent all I had on them. No. He still has more to meet your needs, your needs, your needs, your needs, my needs. He's got more than enough manna. He's got more than enough rocks to pour water out of. He's got more than enough springs to cause to come out of deserts. He is not limited in his provision. He is my Jehovah Jireh. I trust in him. This morning, you might be here today and it's in this moment and in this life, learning to live off the leftovers. You've gotta change your approach. In the 1968 Olympics, there was a gentleman by the name of Dick Fogsbury, and Dick revolutionized. He revolutionized how the high jump was performed. Everyone else would jump with feet first, trying to jump over the bar. But in 1968, Mr. Fogsbury came in backwards and jumped over it. They called it the Fogsbury flop because he totally revolutionized how it was done. And that year, he caused the record to be broken And he changed how everybody jumped at the high jump and the bar was raised. I believe this morning when you change your approach to your finances, when you change your approach to what living is all about, you will begin to raise the bar and allow there to be a blessing and change. Can I tell you, parents, you'll even transform how generations behind you spend their money. We've lost a generation like my grandmother who saved, 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 saved. We had a generation that has been the recipients of their savings only to give to a generation that a couple years down the road evaporated all the savings. And now there's a generation left not with the savings that was sent up, but now we're leaving a generation with the debt of what we're passing on. I believe God has a new approach for us. I believe God wants us to address this differently. I believe God wants to revolutionize how we do things and how he works in our lives. So no matter what your debt is, maybe your debt today is financial debt, maybe it's relational debt, maybe it's sin debt, I don't care what your debt is, God's not mad at you. He's mad about you. He's not a God coming to condemn you for what you've done. He's a God who wants you to know the power of what he's done for you. And he is for you, not against you. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.